Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to share your word with your people. We pray for your Holy Spirit to be at work among us, giving us ears to hear and hearts that are willing to obey your word. For your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now you can be seated. Last couple of weeks we have been looking at uh, Paul's teaching about the resurrection of the body in 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to continue on in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, this morning. Paul has been giving reasons for why we can believe in the resurrection of the body. And as I said a while ago, um, two Sundays ago, we talked about that there were some skeptical voices in Corinth at the time. Uh, who had a problem with this teaching. And so, so Paul is giving reasons in the face of skepticism. I think we can relate to skepticism. We live in a skeptical age. Um, and there's something healthy about skepticism. None of us want to believe in fairy tales. We don't want to give our lives to an empty hope. But Paul is giving reasons to believe in the, in the resurrection. And it's important for us to, to hear what he says here because we do live in an age of skepticism regarding these things. I was watching a show early this, uh, earlier this week, I think it was Monday, and uh, usually if I'm watching a show, it's either sports or detective shows. And this was a detective show. And uh, the central character in this detective show had just lost his mother. His mother had died, passed away. And so the other characters in the story were trying to offer words of comfort to this man, his colleagues, while he was at work. And one of the characters uh, came to him, and she's kind of known as the most rational one of the bunch. She's always careful to follow procedure, and she thinks things through very logically. And so here's the central character grieving the loss of his mother, and this character comes in, the rational one, and she says, I'm sorry for your loss. At, uh, you know, a couple of months ago, one of my relatives died. And what people told me offered no help. They said that she's in a better place. And then this character said, the rational voice said, we all know that heaven is a construct that we've invented to make ourselves feel better. And then she walked out of the room. That's the voice of skepticism today. That's the voice of the rationalist today. And we hear it over and over again in our culture. The Apostle Paul is addressing skepticism in the first century about these things. And throughout this passage, he is giving us reasons to believe. Reasons for hope. And so, let's listen to what he has to say here. Hopefully we can listen with some fresh ears this morning and an open mind. But he starts, see there were people who said, uh, verse 35, someone will ask, here's the skepticism, how are the dead raised? How is this possible, Paul? And even if the dead are raised, with what kind of body do they come? And now Paul is going to give analogies from the natural world to demonstrate that believing in the resurrection of the body is not absurd. He's going to give analogies from the natural world. He starts with a seed. 
He says, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. The seed has to fall into the ground and die to its seed-like form before it can produce a plant. So what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Death has to precede this new life. Second, what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other kind of grain. The seed that goes into the ground will bear no resemblance to the plant that is going to emerge. Now, before I left my house today, I went to the pantry and pulled out my favorite, one of my favorite snacks, and that's popcorn. And I got a kernel of popcorn. Here is a kernel. Those in front can see, those in back probably can't even see, but maybe barely. This tiny kernel, this tiny seed. It's small, it's yellow, it's hard, it's tiny. Now imagine, I don't have a stalk of corn with me today, but we've all seen the stalk of corn. This this green plant that comes out of the ground and out of this this stalk comes shoots, comes ears of corn. The, The thing that goes into the ground, the seed, bears no resemblance to what comes up. That's Paul's point. You see it in the natural world. Yes, there's continuity between the seed and the plant, The life of the plant is in the seed. It's a corn seed. It's going to produce corn. Watermelon's not coming out of this. There's continuity. But what emerges is something different. And if you didn't know about seeds and plants, and you didn't know when you if you didn't know that this was a corn seed, you couldn't imagine that a corn stalk would come from it. So so Paul is saying, we see this in the natural world, that the body that dies, the seed, will be very different from the resurrected body. And then he talks about different kinds of bodies in the natural world. Verse 39, for not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. See, there are different kinds of bodies for different kinds of environments. Different kinds of bodies that are suited to their particular environment and their role in creation. I don't know if you saw recently that some crazy people in Creveport decided to take the polar plunge and go into the lake like polar bears. Well, they're not polar bears. We see polar bears. I was actually watching with Sam this week some videos of polar bears up in the Arctic jumping from ice to ice and swimming in the icy Arctic water. And they were in their natural environment and seemed to be enjoying it because their body is made for that. Whereas the people, the crazy people, taking the polar plunge are shivering half to death when they get out of it. Why? Because there's different kinds of body for different kinds of environment. They're designed differently. And he says there's different kinds of beauty of different kinds of Bodies, or different kinds of glory, or different kinds of splendor. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another. And by heavenly bodies, I think he means what he talks about here in verse 41, 
sun, moon, and stars. There is the glory of the sun and the glory of the moon. Uh, another glory of stars. And then different stars differ in terms of their glory. And by glory here he means the beauty, the splendor, the majesty of a body. Different kinds of glory for different kinds of bodies. And Paul's point here is if this is what we see in nature, you plant a seed and what emerges is something that's far different than the seed. You look around and you see there's different bodies for different environments. You see different kinds of splendor and beauty and majesty of different kinds of bodies in the natural realm. And Paul is saying... If we see this in nature, then, as one commentator put it, why should it be thought incredible that God can create another kind of body that will be perfectly suited for the glory of heaven? That's the point that Paul is trying to make. All around us, if we have eyes to see, there are signs, there are clues pointing us to the truth of the resurrection in the natural world. The second thing that he does in this passage then is to go on and to describe the resurrected body. Now, he doesn't give us everything that we would like when it comes to a description of the resurrected body. What exactly is our resurrected body going to look like? What is the glorified body going to look like? We hope it's the best version of our physical self here on earth. Will we recognize one another in heaven? He doesn't answer that question here. I think the answer to that is yes. Again, there's discontinuity with the body, the earthly body, but there's also continuity. There's likeness. And Jesus' disciples, it took a little bit of doing, but Jesus' disciples could recognize the body of Christ. After he said, it's really me. This is, this is my body. Touch my hands. Put your hands in my side, he said to Thomas. Touch me. It really is me. There's continuity. So we have questions about the resurrected state. And there's obviously a mystery about this. But, but Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes this basic point. Is that, again, there's going to be discontinuity. Our bodies are going to be greatly changed. Our bodies here in the fallen world are subject to disease and, and, and sickness because of sin. Well, that's not going to be the case in the new creation, in the new heavens and the new earth. There's going to be a change that happens. So look at what he says at verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. So it is. There's different kinds of bodies. He's explained that in the natural world. And so it is. With the body of those who've been raised from the dead. It's going to be different. How so? What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. All of us in this room right now, our bodies are perishing. Little by little. Doesn't matter how, and it does matter, I shouldn't put it this way. It does matter that we take care of our bodies. We're to be good stewards of the bodies that God has given us. And it's a good thing to take care of the body, to eat right, to exercise, etc. 
But all that effort eventually isn't going to stop the perishing of the body. All of us in this room are perishing day after day. Um, Unless the Lord returns uh, and calls us home, we're going to be in this state that Paul is talking about of ultimate perishing in terms of the physical reality of death. That's a sobering thought. Our culture doesn't like to hear it. But the Bible is trying to deal with reality. This is a reality. But there's another reality. And that is, there's a God of life. There's a God of resurrection. There's a God who gives life to the natural world. The seed doesn't have life in itself. Where does that life come from? It comes from God. The creator of all things. The reality of death but the reality of God, who is the giver of life. And so Paul says, yes, what is sown is perishable, but it's raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. Sown in weakness. Raised in This is a very comforting passage. This is a very strengthening truth, if you believe this. Because we've all seen, one of the hardest things to see, is people we love, who were once vital and vibrant and strong, being diminished through the aging process, or by by disease. It's a heartbreaking thing to see. And there is something in us that cries out against it to say, no, this isn't right. From a purely naturalistic, materialistic view that the only reality is the natural world, the only thing that exists is matter. If you had that kind of worldview, then you, you wouldn't say that. You wouldn't say, oh, this, is, this isn't right. This is unnatural. You just say, well, this is what happens to material things. Or just bodies. But that's not how we deal with these realities of sickness and aging and death. When we see it, say something's wrong here. This isn't the way it's meant to be. There's a sadness, there's a grief here. But Paul says that's not the last word. Perishing is not the last word. Dishonor is not the last word for the body. Weakness is not the last word. For those who are in Christ, they will be raised to a glorious state. What a comfort that is. And then he says that uh, if it's sown a natural body, it will be raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there will also be a spiritual body. And by spiritual body, he doesn't mean immaterial. Okay, Christ was raised and, and, and we get our understanding ultimately of the resurrected body from the resurrected Christ. And you see that Christ really was embodied when he was raised from the dead. He ate breakfast with his disciples. He said, can a ghost do this? Again, he had Thomas touch him. There's a physical reality here. So what does he mean by spiritual body? There are some groups, some 
cults, we would say, who take this and say, oh, see, there is no real resurrection of the body. It's a spiritual body. They'll point to this very passage to make that case. But Paul is talking here about a body that's fits for the spiritual realm. A body that's fit for the supernatural reality of heaven. That's the distinction here between nature and the supernatural realm. I think that is the distinction that he's making here. The point that he's making is that our bodies now are not fit for glory in heaven. Our bodies now are subject to disease, aging, and death. Dishonor, perishing, weakness, because of sin. Where does it all come from? It comes from sin. The reason people die, the reason we die, is because of sin. Death is a a penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death, Paul says in Romans 6, 23. But the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wages of sins, death. But the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, our bodies now are not fit for the experience of heaven. We can't cope, as one person says, we can't cope with the glory of God that we will experience in heaven, in these fallen bodies. Paul heard the expression, I'm so happy I could burst. As if the body can't contain the joy and the happiness that we're experiencing. Well, take that to the infinite degree. In heaven, there's going to be infinite joy, unending, eternal joy and happiness in the presence of God. A holy, righteous God. And we need to be changed before we can encounter this. That's what Paul goes on to say at the end of this chapter, which is not printed in our bulletin. But if you want to read the rest of 15, he makes it very clear. We must be changed. This mortal body has to put on immortality in order to encounter the glory of God that is to come. And this is all possible, Paul says, because of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. It's possible because of what God has done in Christ. And so in verses 45 through 49, he talks about Jesus as the second Adam or the second man. He says, verse 47, the first man, Adam, was from earth. He was a man of dust. Adam was created from the dust, from earth. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man, that is Christ, is from God. He's from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Adam was created from the dust. And when he sinned, after the fall, the Lord God said, To dust you are from from dust you came and to dust. You will return. We are in Adam. We've inherited from Adam sin and death. And we will return to the dust. But that is not the last word. There's a second Adam. There is Jesus Christ, the man from heaven, from God, who gives us, as we are in him, the hope of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man from dust, we shall also bear the image of the man from heaven. We are united to Christ by faith. 
my friends, I want to ask you this question. Do you have this hope? Do you believe these things? Are you listening what the Apostle Paul is saying this morning in a skeptical age? Here is the Apostle Paul who encountered the risen Christ. The whole reason why Paul is writing these things is because he had an encounter with the risen Christ. He can give personal witness and testimony to the reality of these things that he's talking about, that he's writing about under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Let me just make a couple points of application before I close here. To those who struggle to believe these things, to those who might hear this and say, again, kind of with a skeptical mindset, I, I want to believe it, but I'm a scientifically minded person and I have a hard time believing these things. Again, I want to say, there's something healthy about skepticism. We don't want to believe in fairy tales. We don't want to put our hope in something that's not real. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in preaching platitudes or things that inspire people but have no reality behind them. And Paul wasn't either. He didn't give his life for empty things. He knew there was a reality here. So there's something about there's something healthy about the skeptic the, the skeptically minded person says, I'm not sure about this. It's okay to ask questions. But consider this for those who are skeptic or skeptically minded. Have you allowed the thinking of the world to close your mind to the possibility of the truth of these things? We live in an age where some people say the only truth is scientific truth. And if it cannot be proved by science, I'm going to close my mind to it. And so something like this seems so incredible because there's no way to verify it scientifically. I'm not going to believe it. The only truth is scientific truth. Now, I don't have time to go into this, but there are scientists who are Christians who believe in the resurrection of the body. The conflict is not between science and faith. The conflict is between scientism and faith. And scientism says the only reality is that which can be verified by science. The only truth that I will believe in, that's scientism. God has given us the gift of science, the gift of knowledge to understand the natural world for the benefit of humanity. The conflict is between Faith and scientism. There are truths that we believe in that we can't verify scientifically. When my children, my wife, tell me, I love you, I don't say, stop, wait a second, got to get the, what is it, the polygraph test out to see if that's true. Got to find a way to scan your brain while you're saying that to see if somehow I can prove this scientifically. No. That's another way of knowing. That's another way of believing. It comes from knowing a person. It comes from a relationship over time where you trust that person. It comes from interacting with that person. And that's how it is with faith in God. God is a person. A personal reality. And we can grow in our trust and understanding and love of God as we come to Him with faith and trust. It will grow. 
And there's another way of knowing, another way of perceiving truth. It's personal trust. It's relation. It's based on the witness of people. God gave these witnesses to the resurrection for our benefit and preserved their testimony here in Scripture. And so, open your mind to another way of knowing, to another way of grasping Another point of application before I close here. For those of us who have hope in the resurrection, and when we say, I believe in the resurrection of the body every Sunday, we believe it. Sometimes we admit that it's difficult to understand. It's a mystery. We have questions. Sometimes we struggle to hang on to it, but fundamentally we believe this truth. I believe in the resurrection of the body. I believe that Christ was raised, and because I'm in Christ, I will be raised. For those of us who believe it, this hope of the resurrection calls us to preserve to the very end, to be faithful to God to the very last breath we take. That's how Paul ends this chapter. Again, this is not printed in your handout, in your bulletin, but at the very end of chapter 15, after making all these incredible arguments for why we can believe in the resurrection of the body, Paul says, I need to get bigger print uh, verses. No, Paul doesn't say that. I'm saying that as I look at this little print here. Turning 50 this year, things have changed. Therefore, my beloved brothers, therefore, in light of all that I've said, about the resurrection of the body, the resurrection of Jesus. What's the takeaway? Be steadfast. Be immovable. Persevere. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is not wasted time. Your work for God is not wasted. Your prayers for people, not wasted. Your prayers for people to come to the Lord, not in vain. Your teaching and your testimony to your children and your grandchildren, that's not a waste of time. You're seeking to glorify God where He's placed you in your work, day after day, in the midst of a skeptical age, not in vain. Not wasted. The work that you do for the Lord in the church, outside of the church, nothing good is wasted. It's planting seeds that are going to bear fruit. There's an eternal reality. And because God has raised Jesus from the dead, we can have this hope that death is not the last word and our work is not meaningless because He's risen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for these promises. We thank You for the witness that You've given us in Jesus and the apostles and the reality of these things. Sometimes they feel distant from us, God, but by Your Holy Spirit, You can make them come alive. And I pray that for each and every one of us today, especially when it comes to this ultimate hope that we have of eternal life, the resurrection, and spending eternity in glory.
We thank you for it. In Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, Sarah, Deacon.